Pastor Bill and Pastor Will and I want to talk a little bit about what it means to live a radiant faith, what it means to live a life that glows, a life that puts the love of God on display. And so this morning, I want to share with you a little bit from the book of James. But before I do, when I was 18 years old, my dad started a new company. I was going into my freshman year at college, and like many college students, wondered how in the world we were going to pay for that ridiculous amount of money to go get an education. Granted, it was at one of the greatest institutions on the face of the planet, Calvin College. But even in 1999, 15 years ago, it was not cheap. And I had no idea how we were going to cover that, especially with my dad starting a new business. We were in the cement work uh, or concrete construction. My uncles, my brother, all of my cousins and my father, it's what we know. It's the family trade. And so uh, I was fairly confident that whatever we did, we could do it. But finding new work was always a challenge. So when we started off on this new adventure, uh, my dad broke away from a company that he was existing or that he had started uh, 10 years before and was in a partnership with for a variety of reasons. And we started our own company. It was my father, my brother, myself, two of my cousins, and one other guy. And so the six of us were wondering how in the world this thing was going to look. We started off on a job south of Grand Rapids, a little town called Door, Michigan. And there was a farm in Door. My dad was always good at connecting with the farmers. They liked him, and they liked the way he worked. I think they also liked that he brought his boys to work with him. And this farm was, for us, um, incredibly important because it was our first job. It was also, for me personally, important because... I knew how much money it was going to take to put me through Calvin College. And we needed some good work. This job represented that for us. So we got to work uh, laying 10-foot walls. We started with the foundation. Every foot, we put a number five rebar uh, eight feet into the air. And when we tied rebar every foot so that there was a giant wall of rebar going 80 feet this way and 80 feet that way and 80 feet this way. The farmers were going to use that, those walls to place their uh, food in for their cows. And so they were going to store feed in this giant uh, enclosed area. And so it needed to be strong because it was going to hold a lot of uh, feed up against the wall. So we put and worked hard at making sure that there was rebar there and it was tied. Uh, and then we worked at laying the, the two-foot panel on the base, followed by the eight-footer on top. We laid this thing out so that it was straight and strong. It was true. And we ordered the cement. We got a pump truck. My uncle owned uh, eight of them. He had one that was 43 meters, this huge arm, and this four-inch black hose that the concrete would pass through up to the top. And my dad stood on top of this 10-foot wall with this giant hose pumping 
yard after yard after yard of concrete into the frames, into the forms that we had worked hard the previous days setting up. There's a, a scaffold on the inside, and my brother was walking on the inside of it, finishing the top of the wall, putting an edge on it so that it looked nice. That scaffold stood about six feet above the ground. This was an important job for our family. It was an important job for me personally. And I wanted to make sure that it was done right. And so I got on the far corner of the wall and I looked down it to make sure that it was straight. That was my job this day, was to make sure that the wall was straight. And so I tied a string on one end and brought it to the other end and tied it on that end. And I looked down that string line And it was straight, except for a little bit of a bow in the middle. You'll get that with a long stretch of wall like that. We had braced it well. We had put things called whalers, which are two-by-fours on the side of it that are braced up against the side to keep that wall from bowing. But it was was straight aside from a a little bit of, of a wave in the middle. And as I stood on that wall and my dad kept pumping, walking with that big hose down the top of the wall, I noticed that 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 little bit of a bow began to grow. As they continued to fill that wall with cement, that bow got greater and greater and greater and greater. And I remember screaming at the top of my lungs to my brother, jump! And I remember watching my dad as this wall fell down, grab a hold of this pump and hang there 15 feet above the air, above the ground, in the air. I'll never forget that image of my dad clinging to this pump for his life. I'll never forget when my brother jumped off the wall and the wall fell, the fear that I had that I had lost my brother. Thankfully, we had parked a bobcat, uh, one of these skid steers, right there, And when the wall fell, it fell on the bobcat, and my brother was able to scurry out from under it. Um, But we jumped down. I jumped off the wall. The sound of metal bending, the sound of walls falling down, was terrifying. In hindsight, we speak about it now, the image of my dad clinging to a pump 15 feet in the air is really funny. But the rest of the story was traumatic for us. A new business, tons of hope, first job, the walls fall down. I didn't remember this part, but when I was recounting it to my dad, Lemno was going to preach and use this story. He said, do you remember what we did next? And I said, I don't. He said, we, we gathered around and we prayed. I didn't remember that part. And he said, we gathered around and we prayed. I said, Dad, the only thing I remember about that was that 15 minutes after the walls fell down, you were in the bobcat cleaning things up, barking orders at people. 15 minutes after you just lost dozens of yards of concrete at 100 bucks a yard, probably $5,000 worth of concrete in this wall and thousands of dollars of panels and reinforcement bar and days and days of labor, you were back in the bobcat cleaning up the mess and encouraging me and my little brother and my cousins and the other guy that worked with us to do the same. 
You didn't stop. You didn't wallow. I wanted to give up. I thought we were done. I thought this is certainly the end of this little adventure called in out Concrete. And my dad, that day before we left that job, had everything cleaned up. He'd called us all to retie the rebar and set the two feet on the base up again. The next day, we set the other eight feet, and the day after that, we poured the whole wall one more time with even better reinforcement. What had happened is a surveyor hadn't told us, hadn't communicated that the entire building was pitched. And so when we got to the back wall, the pitch on the side walls was pulling that wall down. So we braced for it, prepared for it, and worked on. But I'll never forget my dad's perseverance. I'll never forget that in the face of this thing, he didn't wallow, he didn't engage in self-pity, he didn't waver at all from the goal. He kept on pouring concrete. That was 15 years ago. And I remember that moment my dad's decisive strength like it was yesterday. James, in his first chapter, is talking to a church that has experienced and is experiencing some defeat. They're experiencing a sense of loss. They're being persecuted by this gigantic empire. And not only that, their own people, their religious group, is giving them a really hard time in their newfound faith in the Messiah, in the Galilean peasant, in Jesus of Nazareth. James, like my dad, wants us to know that our trials, our challenges, the conflict that we face, does not define us. It refines us. Hear these words from James 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. My dad understood that our trials refine, but they do not define us. James encourages us and wants us to know that those trials, those things in us that, that stand up against our ultimate goal don't define who we are. They don't defeat God's purpose for us. Rather, they have the unique purpose of refining of bringing about what he calls our maturity, our completeness, bringing us to the place where we can say we lack nothing. Levi Dethridge is a student that I've known since his seventh grade year in middle school. I'd like to invite him up for a minute. Mrs. Wochinski. Levi said once encouraged him to write, to write poems. And Levi has been doing that since middle school. 
uh, on and off, sometimes more than others. Levi has gone through a significant number of trials in his life. Um, He is a senior at Redlands East Valley, and high school is not always easy uh, for a number of reasons. But Levi has this phenomenal gift that I asked um, if he would share with us this morning. So, Levi, take it away. Uh, yeah, like Nick had said, he uh, he asked me to write a piece for the service, so uh, we'll just see how it goes. <clears throat> Look at the people around you. Please study their eyes. Blue, brown, and green of every shade and hue. But behind those lids and lashes, real pain and struggle lie. How is a sword forged? By the melting of metal and the pounding of its blade. How is a tree planted? The breaking up of dirt and grass, the hard work of a spade. Every struggle is a chromosome, and every triumph is the glue. Some of these happenings occur close to home, while others appear to be at a distant view. These tribulations are not chains, and these trials are not unbreakable bonds. The events which break you down grow to become the base of your DNA, and sad travesties form the lyrics of inspiring songs. Don't lose direction in your faith, even though the world claims to have your map. Even if the path looks deceptively straight, be aware of all the stop signs that it lacks. Do we lose our strength of faith? Of course. But even if you flick the light switch to the bottom of that white plate, there is still power at its source. Those among you whom are considered the strongest truly sympathize with what it means to be weak. And those with the most articulated voices were at one point or another incapable of speech. You see, if God can craft a universe, what makes you think he has limits? Our Heavenly Father can work miracles, but he can only work with what you choose to give him. God will never say, I give up, and God will never crumble. Sometimes God will allow the path to get rough, and he will never let you fall, but he may let you stumble. If you fight your battle alone, then you're simply asking for defeat. You're never alone in the dark, even if every light is busted on the street. The struggles will never end. They will always continue to occur in different ways. But you will gain power and wisdom. Because the reason God allowed all these crimes to occur today is so that tomorrow you can protect and guide a fellow victim. Drop the mic. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on, man. That was amazing. Was that amazing? That was awesome. Thank you. Levi perseveres. Levi, in the face of trials, keeps going. Levi hasn't given up. And like he said, uh, people have come around him and beside him and behind him to bless, to love, to push, to challenge, to prod. But he's kept going. And now his voice represents a a generation. It's longing to see the kingdom of God come. Beautiful. That was great. Perseverance. Perseverance in the midst of trials. Webster defines it as a steadfastness in doing something despite difficulty or delay 
in achieving success, steadfastness in doing something, despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. This year at Camp Dunamis, the distinct privilege of watching 70-plus people catch something called the norovirus, which we have affectionately named the narwhal virus. 70 out of our 200 staff and campers spent anywhere from like 12 to 36 hours having this bug empty them out of their existing intestine. You know what I mean. They lost their cookies all over the place. On Wednesday morning, when I walked up to see the state of the boys' cabins, it was like a zombie apocalypse. Half a dozen young men sprawled over benches. There were two kids laying in sleeping bags outside. There was just spots all over the path where people the night before had done their thing. It was bad. Now, this is the third trip that I've been on this year where I've been able to witness this kind of activity. Uh, This one was easily the largest of them all, which leads me to wonder if I'm patient zero, patient X, On the last day, students came up and gave their testimonies. We canceled Camp Dunamis a day early, something that had never been done in the 26 years of camp. And student after student came to the front, and they said something similar. Many of them spoke about um, what God had done in in the worship time, uh, but student after student said, when I was down and out, I was, I was sick. Uh, leaders, camp nurses, camp directors, and other students came around me. They cared for me. They loved me. And I'll never forget that. We had this year at Camp Dunamis 70-plus students make recommitments to follow Jesus with their whole life. We had... 21 students for the first time commit their lives to Jesus Christ. Ain't God good? 21 kids in the midst of the narwhal said, you know what? Jesus is better. He's bigger. And it was because those leaders never gave up. It was because they persevered in the face of that. We will never forget Camp Dunamis 2014. We can't forget Camp Dunamis 2014. I saw things that I cannot erase from my mind at Camp Dunamis 2014. I will also never forget that 90 students committed their lives to Jesus Christ. 90. I think there were only 130 kids there with about 70 counselors. They saw in the midst of those trials a community of people persevere. And perseverance, this this continuing on, despite this great struggle and trial, despite uh, success that has been uh, halted for a season, this perseverance is what makes every 
good story worth listening to. It's what makes every story worth hearing about again and again and again. It's this component of of seeing struggle and seeing somebody overcome, of, of persevering. Donald Miller, the author, says every great story has in the middle a significant conflict. A conflict that stands in the way of the goal that the main character is trying to achieve and where they are right now. It's in this conflict that we find ourselves daily. I wonder for you, what, is, what are the conflicts that stand in your way daily? Maybe the conflict is a person. Maybe it's a personality trait. Maybe it's a disease that you carry or have carried. Maybe it's some loss that you have experienced that every day you overcome. What is the conflict, the struggle, the trial that God has invited you to overcome? I wonder if we would do a poll and ask people in the pews, what are like your top three trials? I wonder what we would get. For some, it may be the loss of somebody close to us. For others, it may just be the gnawing boredom of our day-to-day routine. For others, it's, it's maybe trying to raise our kids. Just this tremendous trial of patience, of perseverance. But it's right there. It's in the midst of that trial, of that conflict, that we find God inviting us to trust him. It's with that thing that annoys you the most. You see, uh, the absence of conflict makes for really, really poor stories. The pursuit of dreams and goals and a vision for life in the kingdom of God without any kind of trial makes for a really dull story. I don't remember Camp Dunamis 2011 through 2013 partly because I have a bad memory. But I will never forget Camp Dunamis 2014. I'll never forget watching counselor after counselor walk their children and their students to the nurses in the middle of the night. It was terrible, and it was beautiful. And it's this trait It's this perseverance that the psalmists and the scriptures celebrate about God. It's exactly this perseverance that we hold up as being divine. Listen to some of the psalmist's words. Brief glance, I counted 33 times that in the psalm we find the word God's unfailing Love, a love that is steadfast, that perseveres. It's a love that even in the face of like overwhelming odds, God continues coming at us with. Even when they hung him on a cross, he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. The way of Jesus is a way where we embrace and understand this unfailing, this persevering love of God. Psalm 6 Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me. Why? 
not because I'm good, not because I deserve it. Save me because of your unfailing love. Psalm 13, my enemies will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. Psalm 26, test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind, for I have always been mindful of your unfailing love and have lived in reliance on your faithfulness. Paul picks up on this idea in Philippians 1 verse 6 when he says that the God who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Why? Because he trusts in the perseverance of the God who called him. He trusts in the perseverance of the God who saves him. He trusts in the perseverance of the God who daily is making him new. And the invitation for you and me as we look at the Lord's table is to see there the persevering work of Jesus Christ. You see, Levi was able to say in his poem that there are three words that you and I will never hear God utter. We may hear them from our friends. We may hear them from our employers. We may hear them from a doctor. We may hear them from a family member. We may hear them from the people that we thought were closest to us, but we will never hear God utter these three words. I give up. I give up. People of the river, we worship a God who is steadfast in his love for us. When we were far off, he was hunting think about a deer in a field being stalked by like let's say a lion it has no idea that it's being sized up and aimed at it has no idea that it's being pursued that lion it won't stop God invites us to understand his unfailing love his persevering love in the face of trials like that Which leads me to Jared's story. The reminder that our trials don't define us. They don't defeat us. They refine us. A year ago, we sat in this building, many of us, with some people who were leaving for college. They were excited about it. None of them were as excited as Jared. Maybe, Haley, you were equally excited. But none of them that I knew were as excited about that next step in their journey as Jared. Jared was going to go play football at the Air Force. He'd been given a scholarship. Not just that, they were going to pay him to go to college. Not at all the circumstance that I was in. They were going to pay him to play football, to study, and to be a part of the Air Force community. Jared, you were pumped, yeah? To say the least. Two weeks into that, uh, all throughout high school, Jared had battled um, blisters. And he had tried a number of things during football season. Tapes, socks, special shoes, um, all sorts of stuff. All kinds of prayer. And the blisters just didn't go away. And so when he got to the Air Force and you were doing a how many mile run up a hill? 
like a thousand mile run up a mountain in the rain and snow. Um, the blisters were overbearing and Jared couldn't go on anymore. So they said, well, go see the, the doctor. And there, many of you know the story. Um, Jared was diagnosed with a skin disease, which I'm not going to try to pronounce, but it's, you can ask him after church what it's called. And uh, he was discharged from the Air Force. This dream that he'd had was shattered for months after. Many people close to Jared walked with him. But it seemed overwhelming. This, this dream that was so clear that had, had occurred, that was so good, just got shattered right in front. And on top of it all, he had to come back. So in the midst of that, I remember meeting with Jared and talking. Um, and I remember just watching and, and not having any words for him. I remember not being able to, to say a whole lot. We had a bunch of our interns here. I remember we had lunch with a couple of them at Abelino's down the street here. Some great Chile Verde. But we didn't have a whole lot of words for Jared. We just sat with him. And then through a series of conversations and phone calls and people pursuing him from other places, Jared was able to get a scholarship to play football at Humboldt State. And if you're on Instagram uh, and you've been able to follow Jared at all, you know um, that this place has become a home for him. He has found friends that are like family. On top of that, this past week, Jared, because of the persevering love of God, because of the unfailing nature of God's character, was asked to be a part of a fellowship of Christian athletes camp that met at the University of California, Los Angeles. Sorry, Trojan fans. And they met with hundreds of young people. Jared was a team leader for a small group of young men. And this week, when I texted Jared and just asked if, if I could be uh, you know, obnoxious and use him in a sermon. He texted me back. I told him what we were going to preach on. And I said, how have your trials refined you? How have they shaped you? How have they changed you? This is a 19-year-old young man who said, verse 4 and 3 describe my life. This week, God used me to bring seven kids to Jesus Christ. If I was at Air Force, that wouldn't have been possible. If that's not perseverance and purpose, then I don't know what is. Jared got to walk with a bunch of young men this week as they saw Jesus Christ and accepted his persevering love for them, his unfailing love for them. People of the river, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know where you are in that journey. I don't know what conflict is in your way. I do know this, that the God who started a good work in you 
will be faithful. I know that the God who in Jesus Christ invited you into relationship with him has not forgotten you. I know that he is good and that his purposes for you are even better. I know that he has things in store for us that are more than we could ask for or even imagine. I know that our trials don't define us. They don't defeat us. They're merely a tool used to refine us so that we might be complete and mature and lack nothing. Amen. Please join me in a word of prayer. Thank you, O God, for the testimony of people, of even young people, for the Levi's and the Jared's, for those in this community who have experienced trials and can point to your unfailing, never giving up, always and forever, persevering love. We celebrate that love today, God, and acknowledge that you are good. We love you. We bless you. We ask for your comfort and your peace to rest on those who are in the midst of conflict and trials now that seem overwhelming. God, give them the strength to hold on. Even as every day can seem like a mountain to climb, would you remind them that, that they are secure in you, that you have a grip on them, and will never let go. We come to you in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.